This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Andrew Clark. And I'm Doug Salmon. This podcast is brought to you by the Pilot Light Campaign. In these weekly chats, we will have real and honest conversations with our inspiring friends and other amazing human beings we want you to know about. We take a unique glimpse into their lives and hear their incredible journeys from overcoming challenges to building better mindsets, habits, and routines. This is the Skull Session Podcast. All right, welcome to the Skull Session Podcast from Pilot Light. I'm Andrew Clark. And I'm Doug Sanham. And today's guest is Sally Abe from the Harwood Arms. Hello. Sally, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Very good, thank you. We well, wanted to get you in as a guest because uh, we've, you know, we've been on the uh, radar of, in the kind of mental health communities around uh, hospitality. You've been on the radar for some time, doing great things and you know, flying the flag for female chefs. And we just thought we'd get you in for a conversation and a cup of coffee this morning. <laughs> great stuff. So, Doug? Yeah, I mean, so obviously we, we did a lot of, do we do research? I don't think we do research about these things. We, do we? we don't over-research <laughs> stuff because I, I, we felt that, you know, when you you know too much, then it's just like, oh, you know, you, I, I think it, it, it's not as organic. Yeah. So we just, you know, we'd love to hear from you from your side. Tell us about yourself. Um, so I'm the head chef at the Harwood Arms in Fulham. Yeah. I've been there for just over three years now. Um, I've come up through some pretty... Uh, Tough Kitchens in London, I yeah. uh, started off working at the Savoy, uh, and then I worked at Gordon Ramsay at Claridge's, yeah. and then I did five years at the Ledbury, so that wow. was kind of like my defining part sure. of my career, um, and then after that, my I was a bit scrambled, and I needed some time out of the kitchen, so I went and uh, did some food writing for a year and a half yeah. uh, for a website called Great British Chefs, Great British Chefs. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which was really good. Uh, I ended up doing food styling there as well and sort of got to do see other things to do with food yeah. um, other than just being in a restaurant. But after a year and a half, I just started to get itchy feet and needed to get back into the kitchen. Luckily, sure, I missed I understand it. That. Uh, and that's when I saw Phil was opening Ellison Street. Yeah. So I went and opened Ellison Street with Phil um, and then moved over to the Harwood about a year after. Great. And, and, here I am. <laughs> and so, so how long is that in total? What the, that that you've been cooking? Um well I've been in London thirteen years now. Oh cool. Where yeah. are you from? Uh Nottingham. Cool. Or just that's not that far. Yeah. Is there another restaurant in Nottingham other than his? There's Alpha uh, Miller. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Well, we met them at PX last year actually. Okay. Did we? Yeah, yeah, they came down and sat with us and um, and then they went and did um they joined in the uh, cooking it was in the um in the fire pit in the oh, middle in the of the yeah of the cornfields and that. Right, okay. Yeah. So the nice guys actually. I uh, I don't know if you remember I was quite drunk at PX. I know I don't remember, I was also quite drunk <laughs> at PX. <laughs> I didn't sleep for like three days, which isn't <laughs> that's when you're like, Okay, look. Maybe we should just um, stop drinking for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it is a food. Fe- it was a good food festival, though. It's uh, PX. Did you go? No, I was working. It was a, it's a shame it's not on I, I, again this year. But I just felt it was a, an amazing thing for hospitality to get together. Yeah, and, you know, let really your hair nice. down, and um, there was a lot of really good talks and stuff. 
Um, but it was just uh, short-lived, two years, and then that was it. I mean, obviously, COVID. I mean, yeah, COVID yeah. would have stopped it this year in a way, wouldn't it? Yeah. But well, I hope they pick it back up. Yeah, I'm sure they will. So, Harwood, you guys are shut until September? September, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of, obviously, it's a bit of a sad time for everyone. Um, but we just, July and August aren't great for us anyway, so it just yeah, think yeah. it's a bit scary to then try and open. We want to come back with a bang in September, you know, and do it. You know, get an amazing new menu together, get all the team fired up and just, you know, crack it rather than sort of drifting into it. We want to make sure that... Have you had a lot of time to kind of, during the... I mean, have you kind of been figuring out a menu and experimenting? And um, well, I mean, not really like many... Because you, you didn't know what season you were going to come back into, <laughs> so it's a bit difficult. But I've certainly, like, been doing lots of... Um, reading um, and lots of research around food and, and um, food structures in, in yeah. the world as well. Um, I've read this really good book um, that's all about uh, colonialism and food and how it's sort of all tied in and, and yeah. affected each other. And that, that's been brilliant and it's been really, some of it's quite heartbreaking to read, you know, yeah, what yeah. you know the British Empire did. It was horrible and, you know, I think it's really bad that you don't get taught about it at school. Yeah, completely Because, right. you know, you find out when you're in your 30s what happened and you're just like, fuck's sake, like, how is this, you know, how is this it's not funny, actually, known about? It's funny, we was in India um, over the big, kind of, from Christmas into the new year, in, into like half of January and um, I love India, I go there quite a lot and one of the, you know, I love the colonial architecture but... Then you'd start realising that's probably the only thing about colonialism I actually like. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And to actually say, oh, I like colonial architecture, you'd start saying it really quietly. And, <laughs> yeah. and, that's, and now we say it on a podcast. But um, <laughs> uh, it was more because like, I stayed in the Soho house in Mumbai and they've designed it really well. I mean, yeah. all the houses. I think they do a lot of things well, I've got to be honest. But that place was designed that, good. actually. Your sister yeah, designed she's, it. She's a rest- well, she was part of a design wow. team for it. Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah, yeah. Years well, that's very. I think it's the nicest house I'd stayed in, and um, it just you, know, you kind of it takes you back to older times when you can just sitting around these big fans and you know plants everywhere, yeah. just reading the newspapers <laughs> and stuff. It was it was a really nice therapeutic um, well, month I was out there actually. But yeah, colonialism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was also like Jim Carner when they opened that. They they wanted to do it like the old colonial Jim Carner clubs, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. So yeah. But I just, I just think it's really important to understand. You know, I I cook British food and I'm very passionate about that. But I think it's very important to understand what that actually means. And you know, obviously in um, old sort of Victorian food, they use so many spices yeah, and completely. you know cinnamon and nutmeg, and it's I think it's important to understand why. You know what the story is behind yeah. that, and why we do that, and the the fact that it's in all these recipes for a reason. And it, I just find it all very interesting, and I think it's important to obviously celebrate British food, but to understand where it come from and what's influenced it. Sure. So I've been doing quite a lot of reading of old cookbooks, like really old. It's ones, amazing, so. isn't it? I remember going on that journey myself about when I was uh, head chef for the Swan down in Westmoreland, and you know b- before I took over, it was kind of an it- Italian inspired restaurant. Yeah. And you know. I think St John had just got on people's radars. They had roast open up in Borough Market. Yeah. So it was, like, it was the kind of start of the British um, Revolution in terms <laughs> of food again. And I was like, damn it, you know, we're a 16th century coaching and we need to start doing British food. So yeah. I was kind of spearheading that. But exactly what you're saying, I was just getting through like the old Mrs Beaton books. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and as far as I was concerned, if it hadn't been in the country in the last hundred years, it doesn't go on the menu. So you balsamic vinegars can fuck right <laughs> off. <laughs> but things like curry powders and stuff. So I was looking at, like, I think, the first um, Indian restaurant. And I could be very wrong now because this was a little while ago, but it was something like seventeen hundreds or eighteen hundreds that the first Indian restaurant yeah. was yeah. around as well. So yeah. Yeah. it's understanding that multi that the fact that we forever have been a very multicultural country. Yeah. You know, going on all of the fucking crusades and all of that shit that we did before. Like we brought everything into this country. Mm. There's so much that we utilise yeah. here that isn't from England or anywhere in Britain. So no, we'd have like, even more boring food. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it'd be, it'd be all very yellow and yeah. beige. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's got mashed potato on top of it. There's nothing wrong with that. That's definitely I mean, you guys, you, you obviously do uh, British food now, but do you? I mean, are you a big supporter of it? Like, because um, for me, it got. Um, I get kind of protect. I don't necessarily. I don't necessarily cook British food anymore. 
but I'm kind of protective about British food when people turn around, particularly I spend a lot of time in the States and they're like, yeah, British food shit though, isn't it? And you're just like, look, hang on a minute, come on. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, yeah, obviously I think that's crazy. I mean, we've got so much to offer. I mean, we at the Harwood, we do a lot of game. Yep. And I think that's probably one of the most underrated British food. You know, 100%. it's this amazing, sustainable, wild food that you can yep. just get on your doorstep and people just are afraid to eat it. Mm. Um, but I'd say, you know, in game season, probably at least 50% of the menu is, is game. Wow. Um, and, you know, that's obviously uh, venison plus, you know, grouse and pigeons and rabbits and hares and everything like as soon as it yeah. comes in and it's just so it's such an amazing thing to cook with and it's nice to sort of let other people try it because they, they wouldn't normally try it yeah, yeah. but they'll come to the restaurant and sometimes people will complain that there's no beef on the menu or something and I'm like well you could have venison or pigeon yeah, yeah, or yeah. you know sorry but that's you know <laughs> that's the menu <laughs> you can have beef whenever you want yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean I do love beef don't get me wrong I mean the, the beef we use on a Sunday is is amazing um but i'll only buy the best beef and then people complain that it's too expensive and like my the beef that i use on a sunday cost me seven pound a portion yeah, yeah to for me to buy so obviously you know i'm not going to charge 12 pound 50 for it because it's not, well you do you know, know what i make you completely <laughs> right I, i've done a lot of things with my diet and we were talking yesterday about like just being on a journey because you know we're quite open about what we're doing and what we the reasons we're doing it, but we're not perfect in it. And, and, and you know, I've kind of given up booze for periods of time and I've uh, over lockdown, I was going on to a more plant-based diet. I've always said, you know, I think the first time I had really good beef and it's maybe kind of 18 years ago or something like that, it was like something that punched me in the mouth with flavour and you're like, oh shit, you know, what yeah. have I been eating before yeah, this? Yeah. <laughs> and, but it's like, you know, driving a Ferrari and going back to a, an old banger, do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like now I've, I've got the taste for this. So I guess, you know, sourcing's always been important to me in my restaurants and, you know, ageing as well. Like I need yeah. to have, there's a sweet spot of about 70 to 80 days for me. Yeah. Beyond that, I think it loses the funk. Well, it goes funky and then it kind of becomes brazola. Yeah. <laughs> but before that, it's not funky enough, do you yeah. know what I mean? So... From you know, I need things in a certain way, but yeah, you're gonna it's gonna come at a price, and I would just sooner serve beef if you're gonna have beef, serve the very best. Otherwise, just don't have it in your diet. I can't eat beef now unless it's that. Mm. Yeah. No, I I don't like. I never. I don't buy meat from the supermarket. No, no, no. <laughs> no. and and that, that's one of the problems as well, isn't it? Like the uh, when the argument, and I had this. It wasn't really an argument. It's more like a very friendly discussion with somebody in February when we I did the the last pilot light event, and. Um, I charged well, it was because it was a charity kind of thing, fifty pound a head, and that they all got beef Wellington, you know. And the guy was like, "How on earth can you charge fifty pound a head for six courses, and we've got beef Wellington on? Aren't fillets really expensive?" I was like, "Yes," but and then we had this great conversation, and he was actually somebody that was interested in food. So he wasn't a normal guy that would turn around and say, "I can get it from the supermarket from this price." Yeah, yeah. Down the road, yeah. he he wanted to understand why meat so much money yeah. when I started reading off figures to him you know at like 27.50 a kilo and mm. stuff like that he was like what, what? yeah it's crazy isn't I mean, it this is what co like quality costs because you, mm. you forget no one really looks at a restaurant and goes um, I'm just paying one person to do something they, they forget about all of the bills but then they also forget about where you've got that meat from yeah. and all of the bills that yeah, come with, with that. With that you know. yeah, yeah. And it, it's, it's a very diverse process that goes all the way through and, and fundamentally people just look at it and go, well, I can What's just a bit of I, can I think people just don't understand the difference between um, you know, supermarket beef and, mm. and Wee's Lake District Farmers and they have 53, they work with 53 farms and they all, you know, every single farmer can tell you the name of every single cow and they live twice as long and the breeds they breed are um, a lot smaller as well yep. so they basically live twice as long and you get half as much meat from them yeah. so and they get to live you know a nice life and out in the paddock or whatever and obviously it's it's you know it's a no-brainer but actually when you look at the stats of a supermarket cow versus one of their cows it's just mind-blowing like how the difference is and, and the difference in price and it's, it has to be fair all the way along the food chain you know it has to, everyone has to get paid properly and treated properly absolutely Completely. And, you know, we should be supporting regenerative farming. We should be supporting kind of rare breeds and, um, you know, small farms that are, sm sorry, small farms producing rare breeds. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, just avoid the uh, industrialised food system as much as possible. I say all that and then, you know, 
you know, maybe when you're hungover and you just really need some <laughs> so something. I, I, mean, I still obsess about corned beef because I grew up on corned really? beef sandwiches. I love the, the stuff. I don't have it very often, but you know, it's just one of them things that I've not, I've yet to see kind of, you know, the really kind of shit corned beef slices, but of a rare breed. <laughs> I want someone to make that for me so I feel good about myself. Yeah, that, that can be done. That'd yeah. be quite cool. Like, the canned like style ones. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. That's, I mean, I love corned beef as well. Yeah. It is amazing. But you kind of, you look at everything though, don't you? Like I watched that programme, I was telling you about it this morning, there's a programme on Netflix called Rotten, which is like, goes into real, kind of investigates all of the processes in how things go. And the first episode's on avocados. And the Californians were growing this, um, you know, very big avocado. And it, that's because that's the size that it grew to. Yeah. Um, and they would be able to do that for four months a year. And there were six farms and they supplied all of all of America and everything. And in the 90s, Bill Clinton signed the thing to let the Mexicans import in. Mm. And the avocado in Mexico is obviously half the size, so they can get more in a box, so they can make that process go twice as far for less money and, and then make more money in it, essentially. Yeah. So yeah. you've got this wonderful product, which can only come out three months a year yeah and everyone in the world is on this fucking avocado fad yeah <laughs> and the best way to approach it is by making tiny ones at half the price that everybody can buy and, Crazy. and it doesn't go off and you know you can transport it quicker and, and all of these things but kind of led into the fact that in mexico like the avocado farms are run by drug cartels <laughs> so yeah, yeah. like it, it's simply just about money yeah. at all times not about quality and, and what we enjoy and I think that's that's the thing people miss or not even miss but forget about restaurants is that you're going out for dinner yeah. because you want to go out for dinner of course yeah yeah like, mm -hmm. because we work in the industry when we go out for dinner it's because we're really excited about the place that we're going to and what we want to do but like people that are like oh I just want to be able to go out every day of the week because I can't be asked to cook at home don't want to spend that much money yeah. because they forget how much it actually costs Cost. to feed themselves at home yeah of course which is course. crazy isn't it but I think a lot of people like during lockdown have, have certainly understood the sort of value of food more and, and actually you know these people are saying oh my god it takes so long to make sourdough and it's like yeah you know it, these, <laughs> things, these things take <laughs> time you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I think people just don't look at it as they just think oh it's easy anyone can cook but actually yeah. you know it, there's a massive difference between you know going to Wetherspoons and and cooking in a restaurant that actually you know, yeah of prepares course. everything from scratch it's, it's funny you say about the kind of lockdown thing as well i mean you, people's understanding I, I did it because people were sending me boxes so i wanted to promote some of my suppliers and stuff but then you know i knew a lot of friends that were then buying off those suppliers yeah. because it's the first time they've had access yeah, to yeah. that restaurant quality yeah. meat do you see what i mean and now they're like, I don't want to go back. No. Are they still going to be doing it after lockdown? I'm like, I hope so. I, I hope it's a lot will, of businesses yeah. that will do it. But yeah, you, you all of a sudden, it, it actually does help uh, the situation that they're not going to be relying on supermarkets now. They have exposure to this. And the more people that do that, the more people talk. Yeah. That could really help the system a bit as well. Yeah, I think so. But on the other hand, you know, it can be a bit, not elitist, but obviously to buy those great products it is really expensive. Yes. So then the people at the bottom, they're still trapped in the cycle of buying. We were, we were definitely talking about, I mean, we were talking about this yesterday uh, with George Lamb and it was just, I think it was one of those things that there isn't an answer to it yet. We can encourage people to eat less. We can uh, say, look, eat it when it's really good. And yes, it is going to come at a bit of a premium, but it doesn't mean that you need it in every meal of the day. And I think that's yeah. what we've got to. Yeah, yeah certainly. Um, you know, again, going back to my kind of mostly vegan is that I'll eat vegetables and, you know, fruit and nuts and seeds. Because I do actually genuinely enjoy it. And I feel <laughs> it's doing me good, do you know what I mean? But yeah. then get meat when it's really good. And um, yeah, I... I want to make a better habit of that and you yeah. know, just make sure that it's them. I actually, I have beef once a year. I have I have a big joint for my dad's birthday and we normally buy in like something that's aged for like 18, 90 days or something. And then um, that will be the one roast beef I'll have. Yeah. And then I might have like, I don't know, some burgers or something later on. But it has to be things like Bleaker Burger or something that's got, again, yeah, that, that aging. <laughs> but that, if I do that, if I've applied that to beef and then it's over the last few years it's happened with other meats, you know, eventually it will be that, okay, I can park that up as the, knowing that I'm only going to eat meat when it's really, really good and that's yeah. it. Otherwise, that's take a pass. Enough. And for everyone else, yeah, we just have to start encouraging, you know, people to understand what you can do with vegetables yeah 
give people confidence to cook with vegetables and that there are delicious dishes and you don't eat meat or even take like a slightly Asian view on it where meat is a garnish or a seasoning and not the meat and two veg that yeah. we currently do in kind of Western society, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Definitely. And it works on, from that sustainable point of view as well, doesn't it? I mean, we, we talk about meat, but like, for example, lamb, you know, the best time to have it is, is in the spring and, yeah. you know, it shouldn't be on the menu in the middle of October yeah. when, you know, we, we should be looking at mutton and things like that. And, you know, that progression all the way through, you know, if you've got lamb, if you've got hog it, yeah. if you've got mutton, and that goes around in a cycle throughout the year, then have that cycle throughout yeah. the year. Yeah. You know, don't, don't encourage people to have whatever they want when they want just because you can. Just, There's yeah, just exactly. supply and demand, like, isn't it? You know, like, you know, the supermarkets now, they dictate the seasons. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. so it's, and, yeah, and then people, with, they round. want lamb all year round, supermarkets supply it, and now people expect lamb all yeah. year round, do you know what I mean? Yeah, go back to the game. I mean, that's obviously, I think, for a lot of chefs, it's a really exciting time of year, you know, um, the glorious yeah. 12 for, for grouse, which is always, I've never quite understood that myself because I think they need longer, personally. I don't know your views on that. I like them quite fresh. Like, we, yeah. we, I'd only really keep them on until sort of mid September. I think okay. after that, they get too strong. Um, that's what I like. Do you? Yeah. I, I mean, I think <laughs> grouse is so strong anyway yeah, yeah. that I don't it doesn't I don't think it for me it doesn't really need aging that much um I kind of like it when it's a bit sure. milder but I don't age it much I'll give it that yeah I'll have it quite fresh but I just like it a bit later on in the season I think that's yeah. that game yeah that stronger kind of flavor is that what you mean yeah it is the lamb of game birds yeah. I think because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the lamb has that strong flavour or goat have that strong flavour it's, yeah. it's just so fun to cook with as well like we, we got quite a lot of woodcocks and snipes in yeah. last year as well and you know the things you can do with them and really love we'd, do, we'd make like a game board so you'd take the woodcock and you'd do like a little you'd get the guts and do like guts on toast yeah. and then cut their head in half and do the brain with a little bit of red wine mm. vinegar and it's just it's just really interesting and it's quite unusual you know you don't really see yeah. that in many restaurants it's nice to be able to show you my chefs how to prepare it and cook it as well so do you get out to shoot at all or feet? uh i've been i've been clay pigeon shooting yeah but i haven't been actual shooting shooting no. where do you where's your game come from up north um well various places so we use vickers game who are based in berkshire okay um and then the grouse normally come from yorkshire and then the venison, so Mike, one of the owners of the Harwood, he's got a processing plant for gotcha, deer yeah, in yeah. the Cotswolds, so he shoots it for us and then just brings it down on a Monday. And oh, cool. Watch it all down. So. Well, you should definitely demand getting out and shooting as well. <laughs> <laughs> I did go deer stalking once, actually, but it was really cold and I just sat in a tree in the rain for two hours and got tonsillitis, so it wasn't oh, well. <laughs> 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 oh, Very awkward. Yeah. <laughs> we used to, that, again, go back to the swan, uh, you know, the British... Uh, food thing that we would push in there. We were around lots of, um, there's a lot of gamekeepers that we were friendly with. So, you know, they'd, they'd take us out most Saturdays and just not so much shooting, but more beating, yeah. you know, those horrible damp days. <laughs> <laughs> you're thinking, I could be in a kitchen doing a double shift now, yeah. but instead you're like, it's drizzling, <laughs> cold, and Feet I'm beating wet, my way yeah. through stinging nettles. <laughs> but, you know, I do genuinely miss those days, actually. Yeah, we don't right. get to do it enough. Tell me, um, I'm going to say this wrong. No, you're not. <laughs> the Employee Assistant Programme. This is something you've championed in your restaurant. Yeah. Uh, Doug, you probably actually know more about that anyway. Yes, I mean, EAP is mainly what Hospitality Action do, but also I think Mind have got their own, well, sorry, definitely Time to Change have got their own EAP yeah. that they do as well. Um, but it, it is fundamentally, like, it's, it's about giving a workspace access to things that they wouldn't normally have mm -hmm. for a certain amount of money obviously a month um but, I mean, why did you what what made you actually implement that into work because i mean you've had like you said you've, you've worked in some really tough kitchens and the the kind of the growth that's come from working in that yeah. certainly wouldn't have had anything like an eap no i mean i think <laughs> i so i um had some anxiety issues about uh last year year before about 18 months ago mm -hmm. um, and it was the first time I'd ever sort of felt anything like that before and I was having like panic attacks and stuff and it was it was awful like it was yeah. obviously it was awful and um, I didn't know what to do you know and I eventually got some help but it cost a lot of money to do that um, and I could see I've always been 
very close with my team and I've seen, you know, over the years they've had problems and I've never really known what else I can do to help because obviously I'm not a doctor or a sure. lawyer or... Yeah. Um, and then my friend Amanda told me told me about the Hospitality Action Employee Assistance Program, uh, and it was just kind of a no brainer, really. You know, yeah. I mean, why would you not? Why would you not do that for your yeah. staff? It is it's crazy, and uh, and it's difficult because I told them all about it when when we signed up, and they you know they just like oh whatever, and you put the poster up, and um, but then actually when things start going wrong, you just say look call this number, and mm. they they can help you, and and um, we've even got the posters uh, printed out in Tamil as well, so the kitchen porters can use it. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's really good. They do it in all the languages, but they, they've. Um, I'd say in the we've had it just over a year, and I'd say it's probably been accessed five times um, yeah. by five different individuals. I mean, I don't, obviously don't you know know the confidentiality of, sure. of what's mm. going, what's happened or whatever. But they, they've been so good. They've been so good, so helpful. You know, I've had one guy that's had um, really bad anxiety. They've helped him, and another guy that's had issues with substances and they've helped him yeah. so yeah it's been really good it's really good I, I, think, yeah, I was going to say it's like for me it's like the idea of it's going to sound really weird the idea of a condom like it's better to have one and not need it yeah. than need it and not have one and it's the True. same with the EAP do you know what I mean yeah. it's um, for a workplace to not need it yeah. but have it is, is you know it's, it's important you would do the same with your equipment you know you, yeah. you'd have 10 Maurice's if you needed you know 5 because one's always in the wash or whatever you know and you would You'd look after your equipment. Yeah, well, we pay we pay a monthly retainer to a company that will come out and fix our equipment. So you know, it's the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly the same thing. Um, and also, don't you do yoga on Mondays? So we do mobility. Yes. Yeah. So uh, my personal trainer, Ollie Frost, give him a quick shout out. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's like a movement and mobility coach. Cool. So um, we we tried yoga. We did that for a while, but I think it's kind of hard to get some of the the boys, especially on board with the you know, yeah. mindfulness side of yoga, whereas this is much more, um, it's, he basically tailors it, so we're looking after shoulders and hips and wrists, because yeah. obviously we're standing in the kitchen, chopping, chopping, chopping all day, or yeah. the waiters are carrying plates, so a lot of people get wrist problems, yeah. I've had uh, a couple of times myself, mm. um, so he sort of tailors the sessions towards sort of that, and looking after your back, and teaching them slightly different exercises from what they would normally know because it's not yeah. so much about getting strong it's about being mobile um and you know peter one of my chefs after doing it for a while was able to touch his toes for the first time and i know it's only a little achievement but he's still it's no i'm huge. gonna i'm gonna just jump in because <laughs> it's the one thing i did during lockdown was you know yoga it was um tom norrington davis who's been running some kind of yoga things alongside pilot light an ex-chef yeah. And for the last 13 years, he's been practicing and teaching uh, Ashtanga yoga. So we had a couple of events kind of organized with him before lockdown that we, yeah. we, we had in the diary and obviously couldn't do. So everything kind of went on to during Mental Health Week, wasn't yeah. it? We put it online yeah. and did it over a Zoom thing. And it was a lot of fun. Now, I've spent a lot of my kind of teens and adult life doing various martial arts and like if someone had said about yoga, you know, and in my fighting days, I would have been like, fuck off. <laughs> and yeah, I was on my hands, knees, feet up in the air, all sorts, uh, during lockdown. And for the first time in quite a while, <laughs> because of the excesses of working in the industry, I could touch my toes <laughs> and I could do my shoelaces up without actually getting out of breath. And I absolutely love yoga now. I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely idea. useless at it. But I wish I'd have done it sooner. And because Tom, in a similar way to Ollie, yeah. um, you know, focuses on how it reflects to like a chef working in the kitchen and what you can do. So take a few of those little exercises and while you're on the bench, kind of eight hours just yeah. moving yeah, around. Yeah, you know, just the, the flexing the, the pelvic floor muscles that you can actually use while standing still just to keep, you know, blood yeah. flowing. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that we, you know, the, the simplest little things to be able to get through the day. That we, that we don't really do yeah um but yeah i mean yoga is one of those ones that you would kind of think you would associate associate that with females a yeah. little bit more than you would men well there's definitely but, i mean they definitely encourage it like, <laughs> <laughs> walking around with their yoga mats yeah, you don't yeah. see many builders doing it do you know what i mean i mean i'm always like doing crazy stretches and stuff in the kitchen the guys yeah. become mad sometimes because <laughs> like, i just love stretching so i'll just like grab onto the pass and like stretch out their shoulders yeah. and they, they all thought i was nuts at first but now they kind of join in so if we have a quiet moment in service we'll have a little stretch and uh, <laughs> it's amazing that, it's that nice. like you know it just gives you that kind of energy yeah. as well, isn't it it's like that big yawn that can 
can kind of wake you up sometimes. It's, you know, it's, it's like a yawn for the body. And I totally understand. I mean, but weirdly, I used to have to, when I was working in kitchens that weren't my own and I couldn't behave in certain ways, I'd have to go to the toilet to do like lots of stretching, or just, you know, little bits like that because... Yeah, you don't want people to view you like, get on with your fucking work, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, now, now I've, I've probably encouraged it, you know, just being able to stretch and particularly on the pass, as long as, you know, you're not doing it in a gross way in front of customers, <laughs> but you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. A gross way of doing yoga in front of customers. I work in open kitchens, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if, you do, if you're doing some kind of squat on the floor in front of customers. No, it's, yeah. it's just so important to keep moving, especially, you know, when, you're, when you are on your feet all day. It's yeah. not, you know, it's not good for your body to be in these sort of hunched over positions. I think, um, yeah, and, and it, yoga helped me, especially when with my anxiety and stuff. I was doing lots and lots of yoga, and it, that side of things sort of helped my brain as well. So I think it's good both mentally and physically have you been doing much meditation from that then um yeah so i I was doing quite a lot of meditation at the start of lockdown actually and then it kind of fell by the wayside a little bit but um yeah um yeah it's difficult with meditation i I think it's something you have to obviously practice but um Mm. yeah i've been doing lots of yoga though i've been doing lots of yoga and pilates i mean there there is people will say that yoga is a form of meditation and it's in its sense, mm. do you know what I mean? Um, I did meditation for, I mean, I've been doing it for years now. Uh, and again, maybe on the back of the martial arts, but it took a while to then do yoga. And now I can understand how the two kind of work hand in hand. Yeah. And it, I mean, for me, it calms me down. Yeah. If I don't, yeah. I've noticed, because I haven't actually, I've had some bad habits over the last couple of days, I've been very busy and I've not been meditating and I notice it, I mm. really do. And it's the same with yoga. I haven't really done that properly for two weeks now and I'm, craving to get back yeah in, you know I can't I mean? wait for the studios to reopen like there's just some just so there's this um yoga studio on king's road um this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive and june olive and june gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box and if you break it down it really comes out to two dollars a manicure which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And it's just my favourite because it's like got massive high ceilings. It's all white and light and big windows. And I just love going there and just switching off yeah. for an hour. You know, no one can bother me. I'm not near my phone. Nothing's going to go wrong. <laughs> it's That's just going right? to be nice, yeah. I went on a yoga retreat last year, actually, oh, with wow. my sister for three days. And it was amazing. And it was all vegan. And we actually did sneak off to the beach to get fish and chips one day. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> Where was the yoga retreat? It was, it was in Norfolk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so, yeah, so we did that for three days. And we'd had our phones off for three yeah. days. It'd been amazing. So I turned my phone back on so we could get directions to go home. And the first thing I found out was that one of the chefs had smashed the induction stove in the kitchen. Oh, so it was literally three days of peace and tranquility gone in one photo. <laughs> I was like, ah! Do you know I did that? I, I did that one year. I was in India. So it was a hard year for me. It was at the end of 2016, which, you know, was the, for me, that was at the beginning of that year, I was suicidal. At the end of the year, I was like, I had my shit together. 
and I went on, it was the kind of final test, I went on uh, a three and a half week journey to India on my own, just went around and one, it was to see if I could be on my own mm-hmm. and I did that and at the same time a little reward, like it had been a really tough year and it had been a really successful year as well, lots of good reviews and bits and pieces. So that was it. But I spent a fair bit of money going away and I was chilled and I was calm and I was ready to come back in 2017 and just smash the year to bits. Literally two days into it, we had this one young chef that just, you know, I wanted to be as calm and patient as possible, but I literally, I found myself like tearing my hair out. <laughs> and, just like, and I was just like, mate, I've just spent like seven grand on a holiday and now you <laughs> get zen and now I'm not zen anymore. Um, it wasn't that much, but um, it, it was just one of them things that, yeah, you can get yourself into such a good mood and then well, a good place and then, you know, a few things can come along and just sweep your leg away. So <laughs> I, I, need to, I need to know how to keep that sustained, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when things come up, you're like, deep breath, yeah. let's get through this. <laughs> and I think that's one of the things as well, you know, with Pilot Light is that it's, it's about mental health to help other people. But, you know, even as chefs ourselves and, you know, leaders of teams and stuff, we've still got to figure out how to, you know, it's all very well us trying to tell people how to manage people, but, you know, I still need to put that into practice ourselves. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, I think you've got to, if you don't, if you don't, do it to yourself first is mm. you can't help somebody else. I was reading, where did I read this yesterday? It's like you saying when you go on an aeroplane, put your own mask yeah. on before yeah, you hook someone else's on. And that's the same, you know, especially at work. Like I try really hard to manage the kitchen in a, in a way of respect. Like yeah. that's really important to me. But obviously I need to, that has to start with me and then it flows into everybody else. And then it's, it's funny because people will come in from other kitchens and at first they just don't understand what's going on because I don't, shout and scream and get upset yeah. I just don't don't do it I don't no, no. Need, feel the need to do it um, but everything just still runs smoothly so mm-hmm. you know it can be done it's not that hard <laughs> no no yeah, for me, I've, I've been <laughs> in those kitchens yeah. where you've seen I mean Phil Howard was like at the square where he was just he was calm not, not everyone else in the kitchen was calm <laughs> but Phil definitely was um, but you know I, as you get older I mean I'm 42 years old now and cooking for 23 years so, you know you calm down as you get older so that definitely happens I think there's a lot to do with the kind of inexperience when you're in the early days and the the the, the need to kind of prove yourself yeah. as well yeah I think you know I think when it again took over this one it was 26 and I was my first head chef job and I thought everyone was on the journey with me so I'm screaming and shouting and throwing plates and just being an absolute Tyrant, <laughs> and then wondering why people aren't showing up for work the yeah. next day, or you get someone's letter of resignation, and you're like, okay, shit, you have to start managing people differently. Yeah. So at least I switched on to that quickly. But you know, I've certainly made mistakes over the years, which I'm not happy about, but always try to be better if, every time. But one of the best things you just said it is just look after yourself first. If I'm well rested exercise, I'm eating the right things, I'm not hungover, then I'm going to manage people better. Yeah, you know what of I mean? course. I mean, sleep. Sleep for me has been the biggest um, mind-blowing thing during lockdown, like getting eight hours sleep every night. It's completely changed yeah. my entire, like, even my vocabulary has got better since I've been well-rested. Yeah. Like, I'm remembering words that I used when I was at school. <laughs> I know, it's crazy, isn't it? No, it but, is, I mean, right? obviously I've been reading quite a lot more as well, so that's helped. But I feel so much more um, able to articulate myself, and I'm just not prepared to, yeah. to go back to sleeping six hours a night now, so... What kind of hours do you do? Sorry, I don't think any of us should. You know, we, we've been we've been trapped in that kind of full process for so long that COVID, as much as it has been an absolute ball ache for everyone, it's kind of and we said it from the from day one. Essentially, it's kind of been like a gift horse in the mouth for time for yeah. us to sit there and yeah, go, yeah. shit. You know, actually, we can we can look after ourselves. We can be healthy. We can eat healthy. We can sleep more than five mm. hours a night. And yeah. You know, I think it's. it's I don't think it's just hospitality either. I mean, no, it's no, people it's that realise they don't have to travel to work. Yeah. You know, businesses that say actually yeah. we don't need an office. You work from home. You're more yeah. productive. Yeah. You don't have to spend like two, three hours a day travelling back and forward. So I think you know there's a, there is an awakening for a lot of people. Yeah, but, um, yeah I think for chefs, I, I always said again part of our journey and what we want to do is that you know I found that there's fewer and fewer people coming into the industry. Mm. Um, and at what point do we start opening. and the more more <laughs> yeah. opening and we just got to start looking after ourselves and each other a little bit more so there's more longevity right yeah definitely I think there's a lot lot, um, a lot of it for me is about working smarter rather than harder yeah. Yeah. so I just changed the start time to 9 o'clock actually the start of the year from yeah. 8 o'clock we sort of went to 8.30 and then mm-hmm. we said right let's, okay, just, yeah, yeah. let's just push it to 9 
and it's the same amount of people, it's the same amount of work to do, but you just sure. have to be more organised. And yeah. as long as you're organised and everybody knows what they need to do, and we do little bits before we go home to make sure that we're set up for the next sure. day, and then we start at nine o'clock, and that makes everyone's life better. Cause and are you, on some, are, you, are you on like the kind of four-day-on, three-day-off mentality? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, they, so the guys work eight shifts, yeah, all seven. But to be fair, when they start, I, <laughs> I say to them, how many shifts do you want to work? Yeah. You tell me. Mm-hmm. That's how, and then that's how many work. So some of them do four, some of them do five, some of them do seven, some of them do eight. It just depends right, yeah. on what, what well, they want to do, yeah. Well, I think that's the other thing as well, is just being able to work with people that, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a whole team that everyone's doing eight shifts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because your budget might not even allow for that, but you can break it down that some people are doing four and yeah. it's more of a part-time thing. It does work. But people can be much more smarter with rotors as definitely, well, do you know what yeah, I mean? definitely. Even having that stretch where, you know, come in at 11 and go home at eight or something. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know what it, it's it's everybody being on the same page. I mean, like I think, um, you know, working in Kent for so many years, it's increasingly difficult to actually split shifts up into anything other than days. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it you know every day is a double. That like, you can't really work about it any other way because people, for for money wise, you know, it's half yeah. the wage down in Kent than it is mm. up, up here. So you know, people are getting paid less for more essentially. Mm. Um, but also because there just doesn't seem to be enough people like reaching out to go to work in some mm-hmm. of these places, you know, and, and you're, you're still open the same amount of time. You're still open from 12 all the way through till, till 12. Um, and, but looking at hours, it's one of the things that I tried to, to work with um, one of the head chefs at the Swan at Chapel Dam before Christmas was, was getting him to actually look at it from a point of view as he's a dad and he wanted to spend more time with his kids. So how's he going to be able to do that yeah. if he doesn't start looking at the rotor and going, you could go home early then, he can go home early then, but giving back to the staff yeah, yeah. and working it into your system. And if you cannot, you simply cannot run with three chefs doing 90 covers, lunch and dinner, which sustainably it doesn't work, that's why <laughs> it always turns over, then you need to turn around to the boss and say, this is it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I will not be doing it because I have a family and I'd like yeah. to see them. You know, as well as your own health, as well as everything else that comes with that. If you haven't got time to stop and have a, a staff meal, for example, then there's no point doing yeah, it. Yeah, you know, you it's can, just not you sustainable. Cannot, yeah. You cannot eat at 12 o'clock at night. We, we, but we all know this from experience. Yeah. When we first started out and eating pasta at 12 o'clock at night. Do you know what I mean? But, I mean, do you... you got a staff food kind of system that you do? Do you healthy so we, food? Or? So we write a menu... On Sunday for the yep. week, um, we actually did have this really amazing girl called Jasmine come in. She's um, studying to be a nutritionist, so yep. she actually did plans for us for a couple of months of staff food, and she worked out all the nutrition and oh, wow. she did um, like snacks, snacks as well, like healthy snacks to give us energy yeah. through the day because she noticed that we we snacked a lot on you know crap, yeah. not crap, but yeah, yeah, like ice cream, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was um, a good diet for many years. So, <laughs> she, so she like suggested snacks and stuff, and it was good, but I think. Because some of the stuff was like brown rice and stuff like that, the guys were a bit like, oh, I don't want to eat that. So it's yeah. difficult, you know. Obviously, you want them to be healthy, but at the same time, um, you need you need them to want to eat it as well because yeah. it's the you know they don't get to eat that much food. But I um when I, last time I went to Australia, when I got back, I I bought this book called The Clever Gut Diet, and yep. it's basically like a gut reset thing. And I was like, right, we're gonna do this for staff food for two weeks, and after the first week, the boys were like, I can't eat any more kale. <laughs> <laughs> The girl, the girls really enjoyed it, but the boys are just like, well, don't like it. So uh, yeah, so that one did go out the window. But we do, we do put a lot of um, thought into it. I do get really grumpy when people make bad stuff food. It makes me so mad. You're right. I mean, I, I feel the same. There's quite a few things that are banned, like fish yeah. pies banned, uh, spaghetti bolognese banned. Uh, <laughs> well, no, but they start it at five to five, and then yeah. you know. It's well, it's always an afterthought yeah, yeah, to so yeah. many people, and I, yeah. I, I had the same because of the, you know it's the whole carb thing. I didn't always have star food, but then I just wanted to know that it would be something I would eat. Yeah. Yeah, if exactly, I did want yeah. it and, yeah. and I just I don't like eating loads of carbs and if it's pasta or fucking scrambled eggs <laughs> every morning it's like scrambled egg or porridge and I, I kind of banned it at um, St. Leonard's in the end it's like do something else yeah. do something like think the night before what you're going to yeah. cook for staff yeah. so, and, and you know even during the staff food for, for, for evening service it's like 
Do something during the day. If you're doing squid prep, put the tentacles or something, or, mm. you know, the guts, put it in, make a nice like, squid ragu or something. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> then a bit of pasta I don't mind because yeah. the sauce is really nice. But if you're getting a tin of tomatoes and just putting it on some <laughs> yeah, pasta, yeah. <laughs> you did it at, yeah, yeah, five to five or something. I know. It's, so they'll go, well, what should I make? I'm like, well, first of all, you're a chef. Yeah. <laughs> Use yeah. your imagination. Exactly. Second of all, there's this thing called Google. Like, you just type <laughs> exactly. in one pot meals, you know, you're it's not that hard. So yeah, 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 exactly. But no, we, so we sit down twice a day to eat. So yeah. we sit down at 11 in the morning right. and go through the menu and have breakfast and have a coffee. Um, which is really nice actually because mm. we didn't they, when I started they just used to sort of eat on the go in the mornings yeah. and I was like no we need to just sit down and you know those that smoke can go for a cigarette sure. and, um, I'm not like fussy about that kind of stuff because it's just like you know they smoke they want yeah. to go for cigarettes not, not a big deal to me but yeah. again there's so many places where you couldn't possibly well I think it's just about doing it at the right time do you know what I mean yeah well, it starts yeah. <laughs> half <laughs> one check on it's like where's he gone yeah. I know yeah sometimes you get people coming for a trial and you're like where's the they're outside the front door just smoking their lights and like, yeah, we, we kind of don't do that here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I've been on so many trials where I've gone the entire day without smoking because I've been like, I need to impress first <laughs> and then tell them that I smoke later. <laughs> you know, once you get out the door and they're like, do you want to have a sit down? Do you want to quickly go and chain smoke a whole bunch of funny because I've not smoked all day. <laughs> I just, I'm, you know, I'm a big guy and um, but I was always still quite concerned about getting shouted at actually and yeah. I remember certain kitchens it'd be like you just had so much to do anyway everyone's fighting for the stoves because there's too many chefs too many pans and the tiniest little range so you're always fighting to get on that and you just think I, you know I couldn't even take in a whole day it'd be like shit I haven't had a piss yet yeah, so yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I have no time to take a piss and I guess you shouldn't be like that. You should never have to feel like that. And like I say, if I'm a big guy, I should, yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> I should be a lot more commanding. But um, yeah, I was like that in certain kitchens. I remember, um, yeah, I, I, my, my funny kind of story of a, a, a trial that came in, bless him. And I think it was about one o'clock. We were just about to get our ass kicked for like lunch service. And he's like, chef, can I go and have my lunch now? And it's just like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> and it's just like, you know, you've got to know your... You've got to know the times to do things, and maybe it was just a bit of education on that lad's <laughs> behalf, but, you know. Yeah. Um, service. Service, yeah. yeah. No, no, it, is, it is strange, though, like, while the rest of the world's eating, we're working, and we're eating, yeah. or they're either sleeping. Or but I've eating. also enjoyed that. I mean, you know, having a Monday off, when, you know, if you have... I fucking hate shopping, but if I had to go shopping, <laughs> yeah. there's no crowds. Do you see what yeah. I mean? Or, you know... Like, particularly when I was working in Central, if you just kind of got a lunch break or just like 15 minutes, I could just go next door down to one of the other restaurants and eat at like three in the afternoon or four in the afternoon and have like a late lunch and there's no one in there and it's really, really cool. I like that. Yeah, I like. I think Sunday, Monday for me are the best best days off. Yeah. Yeah, because Sunday, you know, it's still like the tail end of the weekend. Yeah, then Monday's quiet. Sunday's the, the one day, I mean, I work six days a week now, I think. Sunday's, the, it's very rare that I do any work. And this is a kind of event or something like that. But, yeah, I'm kind of religious on that one. Yeah, I, I shut up shop on, on Sundays. I, I turn off Instagram, I turn off everything. I try not to post or yeah. even look at what anybody's doing. No news, no nothing. Because, you know, there's nothing worse than having a good, like, a nice day. And then a load of shit news. <laughs> going into Monday, like sake all this happened on Sunday and you've not really rested it's great to just simply like shut Stop, up shop yeah. but I mean like with everything that you do do at work in the way that you look after yourself if you notice the difference like in how they are in compared to any yeah absolutely work, like, I mean I think that, so I've got there's five girls in the kitchen out of nine now um, we had six at one point and that's obviously massively unusual and it's not a, co yes, it's not a coincidence you know um, they it's it's nice because it's based on respect. So I know that I I treat them properly. That if I need something from them, they'll they won't hesitate. Yeah. So if you know, obviously there's times where people call in sick and you need someone to come in another day off, and they they'll just come in. Sure. It's not even a you know it's a no brainer, which is really nice. Um, and you know you sort of go to them and say, oh, can you do could you do this for me or whatever, and and they'll always do it. But they know that they can come to me as well. Yeah. So they'll come to me with whatever various problems but sure, I think absolutely. like a lot of the time you know if someone's messing up at work traditionally you'd just be like what are you doing you know hurry up why are you being so shit today mm. whereas actually I'll just take them out of the roof and be like what's going on yeah and nine times out of ten it's my I've got to move out of my flat or I've got my boyfriend yeah. or da -da -da, and then we talk about it and say right you know 
I understand all this is going on, you know, just take it easy, let's just try and get their head in the game and sort of coach them, I suppose, and make them feel like they can do it rather yeah. than that they're shit and they can't. So I think it's so important that, you know, we've been saying that for a while. I've, I've worked in a, a bunch of kitchens where, you know, someone shouts and the next minute you just see someone put the pan down and they walk out and, and that happens so much. Um, and I remember, you know, after kind of trying to change a lot of things and the way we've been talking about how to look after staff within Pilot Light. I mean, you know, I had a, a, a guy back at St. Leonard's that had, um, you know, just had a bit of a wobble one service and um, I went over there and kind of helped him out. Pulled him aside a bit later on and just found out a bit more about why it was rather than just shouting him out the door. As yeah. I know mm-hmm. a lot of restaurants, or, you know, a lot of chefs <clears throat> and chefs I know quite well have done in the past. And it's just like, look, I managed to keep this guy by finding out what was going on, giving him the time that he needed, the rest of the team understanding what's going on and picking up the, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the jobs. And, you know, he didn't have the responsibility for that week. He was just there. Nice to have him there because he wanted to be there and we love him. We want him to be there. But just don't have responsibility. Don't overthink things. And just about giving someone time. And then you you actually keep that, you know, what is it? Um, staff longevity, staff retention. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? And that's, you know, that's important we as well. sustainability of staff that way. Yeah. You know, because we, we talk about sustainability of, of ingredients and and the processes that need to go into place to looking after those ingredients it's the same with people and and our teams you know we have to we have to do what we can to keep the industry afloat especially in now now you know know, it's quite nice i got a text last night from um some people that were asking you know they're busier than they thought they were going to be so now they're looking at employing an extra person that's wonderful because that restaurant up the road is closed so now you've got three chefs there that are looking for work yeah you can we can guide everybody together and, and, and rebuild that restaurant community, mm-hmm. help each other afloat, and then you know, come through this a lot stronger than I think, you, you know, Sally, you're, you're obviously doing amazing things over there, and you know, you, as a, a compassionate, um, kind of strong head chef, you know, there'll be people that want to work for you, and I guess at the same time, you don't have a huge amount of staff turnover. No, I think they. I'd say the average is they've stayed with me is about two years, so yeah, wow, it's that's just, great. yeah, yeah, yeah it's amazing. good. Um, it was a bit just before Christmas actually. I had three people leave that had all been with me for two and even a bit longer yeah. years. So um, that was it, that was hard for me because I was like, oh, well, you, you know, you'd got this sort of group of people yeah, yeah, that yeah. all could do all the sections and knew all the kitchen, and and then all of a sudden it was like, oh crap, and <laughs> then that was hard. But so then you obviously start investing in the new people that yeah. are coming in. Um, but that was just sort of the first transition period I'd had where, because obviously everyone had stayed so long. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and you know, I've had some real sort of success stories with people that have come in, um, because obviously when I took over at the Harwood, it was, well, it was tricky to get staff, so you'd sort of give someone a job more easily than you'd like to, yeah, do you know yeah, what I mean? Sure. They've not really got the sort of qualification, well, the experience that you're looking for. So I invested a lot of time in, in two uh, boys in particular, and they both turned out to be absolutely amazing. And it's so nice watching them cook the sauce when, you know, so two it? years before they couldn't cook an egg, and now they can cook a piece of venison like yeah. anyone can. So, And that's that's what it's about for me, I think. That's what makes me really proud. And, you know, I've had just some amazing women. Um, one of my young chefs, Kyra, at the moment, she's 19. She's just fucking rocket. Like, yeah. she's just so good. She just wants... She wants to learn. She wants and She's hungry for it. And even during lockdown, she texts me like, oh, I'm just trying to make this. What should I do? And blah, blah, blah. so I was like, give her a couple of pointers. Yeah, yeah, yeah amazing. She's been making bread. And yeah, it's, it's just so nice to see. I guess what you'll feel as well that, you know, even when people do move on, I still have like people from that were working for me for 13, 14 years ago texting and, you know, I guess, you know, reaching out to me as a kind of mentor and stuff. So people will stay in your life for all that period if you make a, you know, enough of an impact on their lives and their career. And I think as a head chef, it's not you know, just a duty to run a team. It's a duty to make sure that the, your, your people, your guys are going to come through the door and go on to be successful yeah. chefs themselves, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. It's, it's giving them the, the scope to be able to move anywhere. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and like, I mean, you've got, a lot of, you've got a lot of female chefs that work for you. How do you... Yeah, how do you prepare them for like? Because it's a very male orientated yeah. position, you know, getting them into an amazing place, um, like work wise. Yeah. Moving, you know, when they get to that point where they're ready to move on. Yeah. You know how 
how do you think that mentally impacts like the industry still, like from a female point of view? I mean, I just, I just say to them, don't if you if you don't get treated right, don't work there. You know, that's that's yeah. and that's what people need to do. You know, they need to stand up to these bullies and say, I'm not going to take it anymore. And you Completely. know, it's yeah. bollocks that like, we can't treat people like that. It's not the army. No. I know everyone compares it to the army, but it's not. It's just food. Right. You know, no one's going to die. We don't need, you know, <laughs> we're not achieving anything by, by just treating chef. people badly. Yeah, but, exactly but you're not, you know, it's not, I know it's obviously it's a lot of pressure because it's so, you know, under such time constraints yeah, yeah, and service and stuff, but actually it's just food. Yeah. It is just food. And, and we need to remember that these are human beings and yeah. they're working long hours and we just need to be nice. It's not the hardest. It's the compassion, nice. isn't it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, that, em- that empathy and compassion that you don't we- get from somebody older. Well, we said it as well. I mean, it's, it's a way that you know, kind of cleaning up the industry. I think is a is a duty that we all have as restaurants, and particularly you know, the high end restaurants leading the way with this, or the restaurants that are more in the public eye of people that you know view them with a celebrity chef mm. or you know um, a, a public face or something. But I felt that you know there, there was that awful incident at Calcott Manor last yeah. year. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, well, look, I said it before that there's fewer and fewer people coming into the industry then we need to uh, try and paint the industry with a better brush. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And not allow stuff like that to happen. And we do that collectively as an industry, as far as I'm concerned. And that is a way of, you know, it's a tough job. We can't get away from that. And I like working hard, you know, but at the same time, have some compassion. Make sure that your teams are well motivated. They want to turn up for work. And if you're doing, you know, if you're doing the job that you're doing, that you've got this amazing team where people don't want to leave, then you know you should be getting a tick on the door saying like this is a really good place to work. Yeah. And then people, you know, people have a choice. They can either go and work for people like yourself, or they can run the risk of a place that hasn't got a tick. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, Asma, the... Asma Khan said that uh, a very similar thing oh, on, really? on the news when she got interviewed at the start of lockdown. Yeah, she said we shouldn't be giving out mission stars. We should be giving out rewards to restaurants that treat their staff. Perfect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. We were. Uh, we're sort of running out of time at the moment. But <laughs> there is there was one thing um, that I kind of I guess we're asking everybody, really. <laughs> <laughs> or are we? I don't know. But like from a like what would you if you were down or you were struggling or your anxiety was high or something something like that, from a diet or from a food point of view, what would you eat that you'd find to be restorative for you specifically? It's not just the comfort food. I... But like something that you know, gives you that kind of slap in the face energy wise. Broccoli and eggs. Oh yeah. <laughs> tender stem, like five hundred grams of tender stem broccoli with two two poached eggs. Yeah, that's I love it. I can't as get enough of the broccoli. That. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Amazing. It doesn't wow. need to be any more. <laughs> <than> that, <yeah. laughs> oh, fair enough. That's what makes me feel like if I need something to feel good and yeah. nourish, it's always broccoli. Like, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Have you got like a, a, a dirty um, comfort dish that you're just like, yeah, this is a bit naughty, but this makes me happy as well? Mashed potato and gravy makes me happy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't even need any meat or anything, but it's just mashed potato and gravy. Right. I know it's really, again, really simple, but mashed potato, I could literally eat. I had. At one point, I had three dishes that had all got some form of mashed potato. I'd got, like, cold cannon, <laughs> and then I'd got, um, I'd got clap shot, and then I'd got mashed potato, and I was like, hmm, I need to start There's nothing more competent than a big bowl of mashed potato. I, I, I have a bit of a guilty pleasure with mashed potato. I, I, I always keep a packet of smash in my cupboard, <laughs> because as far as I'm concerned, yeah, yeah, it's like, you know... I've had those cravings like late at night when I just like, I need some mashed potato and there's no way I'm going to be peeling potatoes. <laughs> and it's just like, smash is just dehydrated potato. I now I know I'm... smashing it's, it's all right. 20 years. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> I know I talk so much about the kind of industrialised food system and then I've got that in my cupboard, but I'm not perfect. I'm working my way there, but... Yeah. <laughs> I know someone that, um, that used to like mash that much and that they have mashed potato sandwiches. Yes, I've seen this. That I've is weird. Yeah, chip I'm, sandwiches, yeah, but mashed potato mashed sandwiches. Potatoes, yeah. sandwiches. Uh, I have a confession. A long Go time on. ago, I didn't have any chips, and um, it was quicker for me to make mash than it was chips, so I actually put um, mash with a burger and then ended up putting the mash in the burger. <laughs> it's weird. I'm just saying. <laughs> the, the, the hash brown found its way into like, breakfast burgers, didn't yeah. they? So uh, anything's possible. That's true. Sally, thank you so much for joining thank us. You it's for been an absolute me. pleasure. <laughs> yeah. And best of luck. If anyone needs to get hold of you, uh, there's the web- website for the restaurant. Yes, yeah, harvardarms.com, yeah. 
Great. And your Instagram? Or? My Instagram is at Little Chef Sally. Great. Amazing. Sally, best of luck for <laughs> the future. Thank you so Thank much. Thanks for joining Cheers. us. <laughs> Thank you.